This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus name. We are at Psalm 69, about to cross over to Psalm 70, but it's going to be a long crossover to get there. Interestingly enough, the Psalm we done on Thursday, Psalm 68 is the 10th longest Psalm. And then Psalm 69 is the ninth longest Psalm. So it is a long Psalm. And it deals with struggling against uh, those who are rising up to destroy David. And it's one of his laments. And we're going to go through it. Psalm 69 is to the chief musician. It's set to the tomb called the Lily, a Psalm of David. And like I said, it's a lament. And like I also said, it takes up uh, way more than at least one page. It's 36 verses. So it says, save me, O God, for the waters have come to my neck. And you wonder where that uh, joke is, up to your neck in? It comes from Psalm 69.1. David said, I'm up, up to my neck. I'm about to, I'm about to drown. He says, I seek deep in the mire. So really, that is where that all comes from. He says, I'm up to my neck in it, and I'm seeking deeper and deeper into the mire, where there is no standing. What he's saying is, there's nothing firm to place my foot on. I'm sinking into the sinkhole, and I can't make it. I have come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. And, excuse me, I might probably get another one right there. You usually there's two that come in a row and being outside all weekend has my has i have a slight allergy issue not much he says i'm weary with crying my throat is dry uh, my eyes fail while i wait for my god and i make me think of that song we would have thought by now uh, that you would have saved us but once again he's talking about being in the midst of the storm and oftentimes we think that in the midst of the storm that God's going to allow, allow it to overwhelm us. And, and he's saying here, my eyes fail while I wait for my God. And that means he's losing life. He, he thinks that things are going to be destroyed. Those who hate me without cause are more than the hairs of my head. And the truth is there are people who hate us with cause individually. We're not perfect and we wrong people and, and they may hate us with cause. It's the ones who hate us without cause it causes so much of a problem. And amazingly, oftentimes that's people who even claim to be Christians. He says, those who hate without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. They are mighty who would destroy me. Meaning the people who hate me are not only ones without cause, but they're ones who are, are uh, strong and powerful or perceived from the worldly standard they are. Being my enemies wrongfully, though I have stolen nothing, I still must restore it. What he's saying is I'm having to fix things that I didn't mess up. Uh, and that's the storm that I am, I'm in. My, my throat is dry, I have no voice. He says, I'm, I'm sinking in the mire. I'm, I'm in the deep water and I have nowhere to place my foot. 
Let not those who wait, he says, oh God, my foolishness and my sin are not hidden from you. What he's saying is, God, you know that I'm not. And I think that's one of the things that makes David who he is to God is that David is willing to recognize his sin nature. He is willing to say to God that I know, I know my inadequacies and I know when I mess things up and I know that I don't do wrong and I'm willing, he's willing to admit it. He's willing to admit it publicly. And I admire that greatly in David because I do believe leaders, leaders often think that they have to be flawless before those that they lead. And I have found that leaders who recognize their flaws are often way farther effective as leaders because they allow people to see their flaws and they allow those that they lead to make up for those inadequacies. They allow for they allow the opportunity for those around them to make up for it. And being that way, David understood, Lord, I'm not telling you I'm good and perfect. He says, let not those who wait for you, O Lord, God of hosts, be ashamed because of me. What he's saying is don't allow the people around me who are trusting me to be put to shame because of my inadequacies. Let the, not those who uh, seek you be confounded because of me, O God of Israel. What he's saying is, I don't want to uh, mess everybody up. And a great leader does consider how his inadequacies hurt or limit those around him. And a, a, a great leader tries to make sure that he, he, he compensates for those things. He says, I've become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children. Because he said, verse seven, I'm sorry, because of your, because of your sake, I have borne reproach. Shame has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children because zeal for your house has eaten me up and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. And what he's saying is also, God, I've had a great zeal for you and that's brought about reproach from the world. And so many times Christians deal with that and they deal with that right up front. And oftentimes we deal with that early in our early in our Christian life especially if we're dealing with family members who are not Christians or friends who are not Christians. Early in our Christian walk, we realize that other people are not accepting or not receiving the things that, the things that God is giving us. And then we realize that they, don't, they begin not to want to be around us. They begin to reproach us or it's not approach, it's reproach. It's the opposite. They don't approach us and commune with us, they reproach us. And they say, we, 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 that's not really, that's not in our wheelhouse. That's not what we want to be a part of. <clears throat> and young Christians w w worry about that. I will say this also. I, I found that older Christians who are beginning to uh, step into their fullness as a believer and actually begin to do the things that are uh, very difficult and hard to be a difference maker, to be a, a mature, complete Christian, uh, their family often holds them back. Even Christians' family holds them back and wants them to stay under their wings and stay a part of them. And a, a mature believer has to go out and has to begin to do their ministry on their own out, uh, out from under the wings of their family. And that's why Jesus so many times said, you're going to have to leave your father and mother, your wife and children, and you're going to have to even hate your own life and come follow me because he understood that that the Christian life is a singular relationship between a believer and God and others others are a part of that in that God teaches us to love them, to care for them, to, to guide them, 
but that singular relationship is the primary relationship and it must be carried to its full maturity in order for you to really have a part in making a difference in the lives of your family. And so if you continue, if you don't, if you don't at some point in time separate yourself from them and walk with God on your own, then you're never ever the person you need to be to help your family and your friends become who they should be. And so you have to walk with God on your own, and then you become someone who can effectuate change in everyone else. He says, because of your sake, I have borne reproach. He says, verse nine, because of the zeal for your house has eaten me up and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept and chastened my soul uh, with fasting, that became my reproach. He said, when I did the things that caused me to, to uh, become mature, and he's talking about, he's talking about weeping over his sin and chastening himself and, and fasting, to be changed, he said, that became the source of my reproach. He says, also made sackcloth of my garments and became a byword to them. Those who sit in the gate speak against me, and I am the song of the drunkards. He says, that's pretty bad when the drunkards are singing about you. He says, but as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. In the acceptable time, O God, in the multitude of your mercies, Hear me in your in the truth of your salvation. What he's saying is, I need you to step in and, and do the work that you promised me that you would do. He's, he says, I need you to step in in my salvation. Notice, hear me in the truth of your salvation. I need that salvific process and that maturity to be fulfilled so that the purpose for me putting on sackcloth and ashes and fasting and seeking you. I need the purposes for that to manifest themselves. I need them to come out. And trust me, if God's calling you out, if he's calling you out to do his work, to be who he's called you to be, you're going to have to do that separate of anybody else. You're going to have to do that separate of anybody else. You're going to have to find God's call for you. And oftentimes, that's going to lead you away from family. I didn't say it's going to lead you away from family forever, but sometimes it leads you away from what your family's saying and doing and, and calls you to become your own uh, man or woman to mature to full maturity so that down the road you actually can effectuate change in your own family because the maturity that God provides you sets you apart from them, above them, and, and puts you in a position where you can actually help. He says, Deliver me out of the mire and let me not sink. Let me be delivered from those who hate me and out of the deep waters. Let not the flood waters overflow me, nor let the deep swallow me up. And let not the pit shut its mouth on me. He's, he's going through all the things that he initially said uh, were happening to him. He says, God, I'm asking that not take place. And being bold before God and saying, God, I am asking that these things be handled is a sign of maturity. It's a sign of faith in who God is and his ability to do those things. And it's an expectation that God will keep his promises. And both of those are a sign of maturity. When we speak to God uh, about who he is and knowing who he is by faith and saying we are not only know that, we not only believe it, but we expect that from him because that's who he is. Uh, that's words of faith. And then when we say, all that you are and all that I understand you to be, Father, I want you to apply that to my life, and I want it to have the results that your word and your promises say they're going to be. By speaking those words of faith directly to God, 
You put yourself in a position where you are empowering the things that God has made within you to their fullest, and you are igniting the hand of God and its work in your life because you are trusting, believing, and expecting the things that God has said to be true, and you are demanding them because of the finished work of Jesus Christ in your life. He says, hear me, O Lord, in your loving kindness, for your loving kindness is good. And I love that loving kindness. He says, hear me, O Lord, for your loving kindness is good. Turn to me according to the, to the multitudes of your tender mercies. Your loving kindness is good. And I want to have the multitude of your tender mercies. And he's demanding from God. He's asking God to give him who God is. And, and that is the most, that is the most honoring uh, thing you can do to God is to demand him to be who he is. And you expect it from him. And that is the most honoring thing. It, it, as a pastor, if somebody walks up and says, Preacher, I'm expecting you to preach God's word with clarity and fullness and power. That's honoring to me because what you're saying is that you're not saying, Preacher, I'm demanding this of you and you better do it. What you're saying is, I know what you do and, and I expect that from you because that's who you are. That's honoring to say. If you walk up to an engineer and say, I, I expect you to build this exactly to the right specifications and I expect it to work exactly perfect and be a steadfast part of, of, of the area that we live in. You're not demanding of the engineer something that the engineer uh, doesn't want demanded. You're demanding him to be who he is and saying you expect him to be who he is. When we do that with God, that's honoring to him. That's honoring to him. That's saying, God, we know who you are. You've revealed it to us. We believe it. And we expect that from you. And we're excited to be a part of what you're doing. Well, he says here, hear me, O Lord, for your loving kindness is good. Turn to me according to the multitudes of your tender mercies. Do not hide your face from your servant, for I am in trouble. Hear me speedily. Draw near to my soul and redeem it. Deliver me because of my enemies. He's telling God, I, I, I'm, these are the things I'm asking for and these are the things you are. And when... I ask for things that are quite clearly according to your word and, and I expect you to be who you are. I know it's all going to work out. Those are words of faith and those are expectant words of faith. The word hope in the New Testament actually is best translated anxious expectation, which it means is I'm anxiously expecting God to be God. And that's, that's very honoring to God. He says, all right, my reproach, my shame and my dishonor. My adversaries are all before you. He says, he says, God, I know you know who they are. My adversaries are all before you. Reproach has broken my heart and I am full of heaviness. I look for someone to take pity, but there was none. Now I'm gonna tell you, that's true of a mature believer. People don't take pity on folks who uh, know and have the strength and power. They look at him and say, suck it up, buttercup, it's time to go. And that's true of David. Nobody's going to look at David and say, David, I feel sorry for you. You had the power to kill the lion and the bear and kill Goliath. They sing songs about you of killing 10,000 and Saul only killing five. You a bad dude. Why am I feeling sorry for you? And, and that's true. Nobody feels sorry for certain people. And uh, the stronger you are and the more mature you are and the more powerful you are, the less people gonna feel sorry for you. They ain't feeling sorry for you. Nobody, nobody, 
No, uh, there's no whining in baseball. That's just that's just the way it goes. You can't. There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. You can't. You can't act like you're put upon. Certain people just can't do that. It doesn't come across well. And one of the things I, I, I at my age and where I'm at, people just don't. People don't. They ain't gonna feel sorry for me. And that's just the way it is. He says I'm full of heaviness. I look for someone to take pity, but there was none. And for my comforters, I found it just sometimes comes with the territory. It comes with becoming a mature, uh, strong believer. It becomes. It comes with someone who's faced uh, difficulties and is accomplished through them. And if you face difficulties and you're accomplished through them, there's not going to be a whole lot of people out there. We we feel sorry for him. I, I, I don't want people to feel sorry for me. And the truth is, I don't expect them to. They're just probably not going to. And they shouldn't. They shouldn't. He says, they also gave me gall for my food and for my thirst. They gave me vinegar to drink. Now, this is a prophetic, this is a prophetic verse. And this is a prophetic verse about them not taking pity on the spiritually mature and powerful. And it is a direct, it's a direct prophecy about Jesus on the cross. There's no pity for Jesus except for his mother and, and some of the ladies that were there at his feet. There's no pity for him. Why? Because he was a powerful. He was by, he was the most powerful man to ever walk the earth. And he had the power to take himself down from the cross if he wanted to. But his will was to suffer and to die and to be raised again uh, by his own power for the glory of his father. And so there was not pity there for him. And they, they gave him gall for his food and thirst. Uh, they gave him vinegar to drink. He said, let their table become a snare before them. And there will be in a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and make their loins uh, shake continually. I don't know what exactly that means, but it's bad. Uh, it's, it's real bad. He says, pour out your indignation upon them and let your wrathful anger take hold of them. He says, let their dwelling place be desolate. Let no one live in their tents for their per they, they persecute the ones you have struck and talk of grief on, for those you have wounded. What he's saying is, you, you, that this is this whole passage is, is prophetic. It's a foreshadowing of Christ. He's saying, I want you to destroy all those who destroyed me. And then you can put Christ in here. And he says, let their dwelling place be desolate. No, let no one live in their tents for they persecute the ones you have struck and talk of grief of those you have wounded. Notice. God struck and God wounded, not man. God, God put Jesus um, uh, on the path of crucifixion. It was his will to make him suffer. That's what Isaiah 53 says to us. Is it Isaiah 53? Yeah. It was God's will to make him suffer. He said, add iniquity to their iniquity and let them not come into your righteousness. What he's saying is, He's saying those who rejected him, they need to have that piled on there already, a uh, giant pile of iniquity. And he says, let them not be righteous because they have no faith in what you have promised. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living, or this is the book of life. This is the story of God's people um, in heaven. And let me tell you, that story is long and it is powerful. And I'm anxious to see the miniseries, but the problem is it's not going to be a miniseries. It's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and Star Trek trilogies and triple trilogies and all that. 
made just over and over because the story of God's people trusting God and seeing the hand of God move among them is is long and powerful. And it's going to be it's going to be great to see God glorify himself with his people in heaven. He said, "But I am poor and sorrowful. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high." What he's saying is, I, the way I get to the place where I need to be is through you and your salvation. He says, I'll praise the name of God with a song and I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This shall also please the Lord better than an ox or a bull, which has horns and hooves. The humble shall see this and be glad. And you who seek God, your hearts shall live. For the Lord hears the poor and does not despise the prisoners. What he's saying is God takes care of those who are humble before him and he does not forget the poor and the needy. And he calls on us not to forget them, the poor and the prisoner, the uh, widow and the orphan. He calls on his people to take care of them. He says, let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. What he's saying is that all that has breath praise the Lord. I love that song too. Let all that has breath praise the Lord. The earth and the heavens and the earth praise him. The angelic and the animals that walk on the earth, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build the cities of Judah that they may dwell there and possess it. That's a promise. And they do even to this day. He says, also the descendants of his servant shall inherit it. And those who love his name shall dwell in it. And you say, are these the descendants of <clears throat> his servants? They absolutely are. <clears throat> the Jews that we know today were the Jews who were faithful to God back then. And their lineage and their line from every tribe and nation, because the Bible clearly teaches us that when the northern kingdom turned to idolatry, many in the northern kingdom who were faithful to God, went to the southern kingdom, moved to the southern kingdom. So there were people from every tribe and nation in that southern kingdom who were righteous before God because they trusted him. And this that is speaking in verse 35 and 36, this prophecy is true today. He says, for God will save Zion and build the cities of Judah. And he has, that they may dwell there and possess it, which they do. Also the descendants of his servant shall inherit it, which... It's going on even to this day. This is taken three or 4,000 years later. It's, it's still going on. He says, and those who love his name shall dwell in it. And you say, why did you bring that up at the end, Chad, about Israel and all that? Because it's important that you understand. I'm reading a psalm written by a man named David who was king of Israel. I can't remember exactly the dates, but more than a 1,000 years before Christ. And it's been 2,000 years since Christ. And the promises found in verses 35 and 36 of chapter 9, the promises that are found there in that chapter are still being carried out and completed today. And we can see it with our own eyes. And God's promises are eternal and they're not temporal in the moment and they're not fleeting. And God's truth is eternal and not fleeting. And so when we study his word and I come across something that's clearly even being seen today, it needs to be brought up because we need to understand that the world will tell us that God does not exist, 
that all this happened by accident, although logically you can't come to that conclusion because they also will say that this that we have had a beginning. We understand that everything that uh, has a beginning has a cause, and that cause can't be it. It has to be something beyond it. And so even by seeking out in science how things are made, we come to the understanding that everything that is made or has a beginning has a cause. And the cause of something so massive and so giant and so huge and so perfect, the cause of that has to be something that is completely powerful, completely good, completely morally correct. And uh, we know that as God. And he is holding things together even for 3,000 years of human history, or 3,500 years of human history. And his promises are true even today. And they're true for you, and they're relevant for you, and they're relevant for life in the moment that we live in. And so I want to say to you today that you serve a God who's been doing this a long time, and everything as far as God is concerned, everything as far as God is concerned is, is in the present. All of time is in the present. And you're in the present for him too. And he cares and loves you, cares for you and loves you just as much as he has for any other human being. And his plans for you are in the present for him right now. And he's working them out for you. And so you ought to be excited about today and excited about the good things that he's given you, even the little things. Like I watch just right now outside my window, the hummingbirds fighting over the hummingbird figure. And you say, that's not nice for them to fight. Yeah, but I got to see them fight. I got to see them do the neat things just for a moment to fight each other over, over being right there in my eyesight as I'm doing Bible study. It lets me know that God is giving me the neat things, even the little neat things to prove that he's the God of the great and he's the God of the small. And you ought to be excited about your God being that too, because he is that for you. And you ought to be able to come to a place of maturity whether you, where you not only know it, but you expect it and you walk in it. And so I hope that for you today, that God will mature you more and more each and every day by the glories of his salvation and by his tender mercies and loving kindness. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus name.